Good morning. My name is Cheryl Ann Dozier, and I will be reading our scripture for today. Scripture is in both the Old Testament and the New Testament this morning. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll go to Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. Malachi 4, 1 and 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew Schaaf, and I'm one of the elders here, too. And it's my privilege this morning to open God's word with you. So I'd like to start by praying. Father God, we are we're really amazed at your word and the promises in it. Lord, thank you that we have the whole revelation of Scripture in our language, that we have Old and New Testament. Lord, we are... We're very, very blessed. And Lord, as we look into it today, we pray that you would do the work through your spirit of applying it to each and every heart here, meeting their need, Lord, lifting their eyes to you and giving them hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. I love this hymn. And I love the time of Advent. I can't believe it's upon us already. Uh, for me, I don't know if you're the same, but it seems like as soon as Thanksgiving comes, I step onto this holiday express train and it just takes off and the days fly by until Christmas. It's amazing how quickly the time can go. And I think we've all known times in our lives when um, things go slower or faster, depending on how we're looking at the time. It's kind of funny how time works that way. 
And it reminds me of a story I read about a man who had lived rather a rough life, and um, it had really taken a toll on his body. And finally, his health declined, and he went to the doctor, and he uh, got some tests done, and the doctor said, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. And he said, what is it? And he said, you've actually only got a year to live. And the man was absolutely shocked, and he said, is there anything I can do? And the doctor said, well, there is one thing you could do. You could move to West Texas, buy a pig farm, and marry a widow with eight children. And he said, that will make me live longer? And he said, no, but it'll seem longer. <laughs> anyway, you guys have probably known those times that of like this endless waiting. Maybe it was when, for me as a child, you know, the school days would go by slowly, 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 and then you'd be looking forward to the holiday, to vacation, and then vacation time would just fly by so quickly. The hardest kind of waiting is when there is, you have a strong desire for a certain outcome or an event, but there's not an actual end in sight. And even the process of waiting may be painful, physically or mentally or spiritually. There's an old English word that describes that. It's called, it's the word yearning. And I think it's something that none of us ever like to do, right? None of us like to yearn for things. But I want to look at this term yearning and how it applies to us in these two texts this morning from Malachi and from Luke. And my disclaimer is always that as a Bible scholar, I'm not necessarily the brightest bulb on the tree, but I really do enjoy getting into God's Word. And I want to just share with you what God has been teaching me as I looked into these verses. And just join me this morning on this voyage of discovery as we look into what God's Word says. So as I said, we've all experienced yearning, wanting something good, waiting for it. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a place, a time in the past where we reflect on and miss that. Maybe it's something we're experiencing right now, something we're looking forward to to happen in the future. Maybe a need that we have that we just really want to have fulfilled right now. Maybe it's the yearning to see someone again. And I remember as missionaries, as we left the U.S. and went to Senegal, we had to say goodbye to a lot of people for many years, and it was really hard. And then as our kids graduated and went back to the U.S., we missed them, and we yearned to be together again, especially at Christmas time when we were separated. It was pretty hard. And sometimes that yearning has an element of fear. Many of us have waited for medical results, and it seems like we're, almost, we're, in, we're eager to get those results right away, and the, the doctor's offices never seem quite as eager uh, to get those results as quickly as we want them. Maybe people have been, some of you have been praying over and over for a loved one to come to Christ, and there's that yearning that they would understand the truth. The Jews as a nation were totally familiar with this idea of yearning. For generations, they had been struggling. They'd been oppressed basically since the time of Solomon. They'd had all kinds of enemies coming and fighting and attacking them, taking over things. God had warned them as they descended into idolatry that there would be consequences, and they were living out those consequences through the years. They were missing not only the blessing of knowing God, but they were also oppressed in all kinds of ways, including by their enemies. But God hadn't forgotten them. Is this going to work? Hopefully it will. There we go. Whoops, too many. There. He sent the prophets. Those are old stained glass window with different prophets in it. I love that picture. From Moses to Malachi, 
He sent them the prophets to show them their need to come back to him, what their true need was. And that leads us to the first of our texts, which is Malachi chapter 4. I'm going to read it again. I'll read the whole chapter. It's only six verses long. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave them at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So what is the context of these, these verses, right? Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament, and it comes at a period of time when um, Israel and Judah had been conquered. The Babylonians had come in. They destroyed the nation. They destroyed the temple. They had killed many, many people. They'd exiled a bunch to Babylonia. And then the Persian Empire had come and conquered the Babylonians. And um, at that point, Cyrus, king of Persia, allowed some of the Jews to go back, moved by God, to restore the temple and build it again. But even at that time, when the temple was rebuilt, Malachi the prophet came to a people who were still struggling very much. This Jewish nation had not been restored. It was still a little backwater uh, part of this huge Persian empire. And even though the temple was there, apparently it didn't seem that God was visiting them like he did when Solomon built the original temple. And they were just going through the motions of of religion. They were just discouraged. And through the book of Malachi, there's a bunch of questions that they ask, and God responds to those questions, basically showing them what their need is. And chapter 4 is the very last one of of that, when God really just declares what's going to happen. So let's look at the key points in this chapter of Malachi. So first of all, there's going to be a day coming. We don't know when, but it's going to involve certain things. It's going to involve judgment on the enemies. And then in verse 2, there's going to be this, this amazing phrase that says, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings or in its rays. So who is that talking about? Who is this sun of righteousness who's going to bring healing for the righteous? The picture is like the sun coming up in the morning, the dawn that brings warmth and light. There's another old English word, I love these old English words, uh, for the dawn that we don't use much, and that's the word dayspring, as we saw in the, the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, thou dayspring. We're going to look at more into that in a few minutes. And the, the next key point is that this coming of the Son of Righteousness is going to bring joy. And it's going to be joy that's going to be overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a a video of calves that have been released into pasture for the first time, but they just skip all over the place. Or maybe you've seen pictures of those baby goats that just kind of go boing, boing, boing on all four legs at a time. That's the picture of the joy that we're going to have or people are going to have when this day spring comes. And then again, there's this idea again of the judgment of the wicked. 
And then the sending of Elijah. That's interesting. Elijah died many years ago. Who is Elijah? Or he went to heaven. Who is this Elijah who's going to come again? Who's going to turn hearts? There's a reference again to the day of the Lord. This day is coming sometime. When is that? And who is the son of righteousness? That question is left hanging at the end of Malachi. And then, nothing. Silence, apparently. There's this time of waiting from the time of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, to the time of Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament. This huge gap. Historians call this gap the intertestamental period. It's hard to pronounce. About 400 years long. Actually, there was a lot going on historically in that time period. I'm just going to give you the 30,000-foot view. Uh, so buckle up. I'm just going to go through very quickly some of the things, the major events that were happening. First of all, you have Alexander the Great, who is going to take over the whole of the Persian Empire. And he wants to bring Greek culture and the Greek worship of gods to that whole area. And because he dies without an heir, his kingdom is divided up among his four generals. And eventually, the Seleucids, this arm of, those, of this general, um, they take over Palestine and the whole area there. The most infamous king of the Seleucids is this guy named Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, he called himself, which means God incarnate. You can see kind of, uh, he wasn't exactly the most humble guy. And he tried to stamp out the Jewish faith, and he even sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple. So he was not a good dude. And the Jews responded by rebelling against him, and, and Judas Maccabeus led this rebellion um, that actually was successful, and this new dynasty was established, but even there, um, this kind of influence of Greek culture would come in, and you had the Sadducees coming up who would follow that, and the Pharisees who wanted to stay with the law. And then finally, in about 63 BC, the Romans came under Pompey. And so that's the stage historically that's set as we go into the New Testament. The Romans are now in charge of that area. So, but in all this, Israel is... Um, Sorry, lost my place. Um, as a nation, seemingly didn't realize that their primary need was not external. It wasn't deliverance from the enemies, but actually internal. That's what God had been saying through the prophets over and over again. They didn't need a military leader to bring them freedom from the external powers. They needed a new heart. They needed a new covenant with God that would restore that relationship with him. They were in darkness, and they needed light. This intertestamental period has been called the silent years because there was no new revelation, no prophets in that time between the Old and New Testaments. But as you can imagine, God was not silent. He was actually at work in that. And we can see clear evidence of that as we get introduced to different people at the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospels, like Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, like Mary and Joseph, like Simeon and Anna, people who kept their hope in Messiah coming, in God. Generations of people who believed God's promises and passed that on from generation to generation through those silent years until the coming of this light at the, uh, the beginning of uh, the book of Matthew and Luke. 
So now, 425 years later, we find ourselves at Luke chapter 1, 67 to 79. And you know the story how Zechariah was promised a son, even though his wife couldn't have children. He didn't believe it. He was struck numb. Um, but uh, after Gabriel came to Mary and, and said that she's going to have a baby, the baby John was born to Elizabeth. And Zechariah could speak again, as he said, his name will be John. And he responded with this prophetic kind of song. I want to read it again to you quickly here. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So God, let's look at the key points here. God has come, apparently, and he's brought redemption Zechariah understands that. Again, this idea of salvation from the enemies. And at this point, I'm beginning to wonder, maybe these enemies, uh, Israel definitely has external enemies, but maybe some of these enemies are internal. As you think about sin and, and the evil one. There's this renewal of the covenant of Abraham that's going to bring righteousness and holiness. And then Zechariah talks about his own son, John, who's coming to prepare the way. A prophet, another prophet, who's going to bring knowledge of, the salvation, of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And then there's this beautiful passage when he talks about God's mercy, the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come. In the King James Version, that, that phrase, rising sun, is that old English word, day spring that they use. He will come and shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, bringing peace, finally. So now we have an answer to that question, who the Son of Righteousness is. It's Jesus. Jesus is our day spring, the Messiah. And it's interesting how similar these two passages are, this bridge between Malachi and Luke. Here's just a couple of the similarities. This idea of God bringing healing and renewal, there's going to be judgment on the enemies. And this coming of Elijah or John to prepare the way. And then this idea of the rising sun, the day spring, who's going to come bringing healing, salvation, and peace. And I want to focus on that, that image for the rest of the talk here about Jesus being our day spring, the dawn, the rising sun. And you can see now you have Malachi was predicting the, the coming of the Son of Righteousness, and Luke is talking about the fulfillment of that. So it, it totally bridges the gap of the silent years there. Light and dark. This image is throughout Scripture. 
Darkness can picture death or sin, can picture being out of God's present presence. It can be depression or despair. And then light is life and righteousness, renewal, and a relationship with God. It represents hope. So I just want to look briefly at a few passages. There are many, many that talk about light and darkness in Scripture. The first one is one that's very well known, and we read it often at this time of year. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, and I'll just read the first couple of verses. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This perfectly sums up Israel's history, right? This walking in darkness over and over, but now a light has finally dawned. The day spring has come. Another passage that talks about light and darkness is when, the, when Simeon, who is this elderly man who is waiting for the Messiah to come, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to present him, and he sees the baby Jesus, and he speaks these words of praise to the Lord for finally being able to see the Messiah. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dis- dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You can picture him holding the baby Jesus and looking down at that little baby's face and speaking these words and realizing he was holding the Messiah, the actual light that had come, the son of righteousness. Last one is another very familiar passage back to Isaiah again from Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 to 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And that word in there, rises, that shows up twice in those verses is the exact same Hebrew word, uh, Zara, that appears in Malachi when it talks about the sun of righteousness rising. So again, this dawning of the light represents the end, final end of this time of waiting. It's the advent of hope that God himself, Emmanuel, is coming, not only to Israel, but to all the nations. You remember all the things that we yearn for, the things that you yearn for? God knows our need, and he offers this wonderful gift that helps us in our yearning, and that gift is hope. Not a hopefulness, like a hope it's going to happen, but a sure hope based on truth. God's light brings hope. God is the God of hope. It's all over Scripture. I encourage you to do a study on that, on the word hope in Scripture. It's everywhere. I think of hope and yearning as siblings. Everyone on earth experiences yearning, but only Christians have hope walking alongside in our yearning. I want to propose to you two kinds of hope, two kinds of hope that God gives us in our yearning, both arising from Jesus, our day spring. So the first kind of hope I want to talk to you about is this idea of future hope. This is far future hope. 
At the time of Malachi, the future hope was the coming of the Messiah at the advent, the day of the Lord when the Son of Righteousness would finally come. And in the Gospels, we see that hope realized. The light has come with the coming of Jesus. The dawn has finally arrived. Jesus is the light of the world, and the angels couldn't hold back, and they just burst into praise. This advent for us is now in the past. So what about us now? Do we still need hope now that advent has come? What does the picture of Jesus as our day spring mean for us today? There is a great joy in looking back at Advent as we experience right now, right? We really enjoy, enjoy that. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come. But it's an interesting phenomenon regarding some prophecies in the Bible that there's this idea of dual fulfillment. And one of those examples is this rising sun of righteousness that Malachi talks about. For the Jews at the time of the Old Testament prophets, again, as they looked forward to this day of the Lord, they were thinking of this single event but now we can look both backwards and see the coming of Jesus at the advent, at his advent in Bethlehem, and forward to his second coming, as Joe talked about as he prayed this morning. So yes, of course, we do need hope. We need hope in this present time of darkness. And praise God, we can have it. Jesus is coming back. And the time of darkness that's really existed all the way since sin entered the world will end. And when Jesus comes, the glorious sun, he'll banish darkness forever. It's going to be the ultimate dawn. I love this, these verses in Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read some of them here. It says, Then I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then skipping to verse 22 here, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. It's an amazing picture of God banishing darkness forever. If we've received Jesus as our Savior, our salvation, our future is absolutely 100% secure in Christ. And through his death and resurrection, we can be with him forever. And we have that sure and shining hope. So this sure hope can give us something to hold on to that is firm and secure, even when everything around us is shaking, which we experience a lot, especially these days. It seems like lots of things are challenging us. Lots of things are in flux and going up and down. As it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Hope as an anchor. You know, when a boat is in a harbor, a safe harbor, it can put an anchor down, but it's not really very difficult. It can stay secure in that harbor. But what about when a boat is out on the open sea and a storm is coming and darkness is falling and the depth of the ocean is too deep to put an anchor down? What does it do then? Well, I don't know if any of you uh, sail at all, but what boats do is they use something called a sea anchor. And this is kind of a modern one. It looks a bit like a parachute. And they throw it over from the bow of the boat and it's attached. And as the wind and the waves blow in and the boat is pushed, that parachute under the water anchors the boat and the drag on it stops the boat from being pushed maybe into the rocks. And it also, because it's attached to the front of the boat, it keeps the bow pointed into the waves so it can ride over those waves and not be swamped. I want to propose to you that Jesus is our sea anchor. He keeps us secure when all around us is shaking. He will keep us secure until he returns. When the day spring will dawn over a new heaven and a new earth and darkness will be banished forever. This is going to happen. This time is coming. Darkness cannot and will not last forever. One day, those of us who are in Christ are going to meet together in heaven, and we're going to look at each other, and we're just going to laugh, I think, and we're going to be like those baby goats, just boing, 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 just so excited about what God has done for us with this overwhelming joy. Isaiah 35 is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. It talks about this future hope that we have. And the last two verses say this, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I love that picture. Do you know how fast the dawn travels around the earth? If you were up in the space station and you could look down, you could actually see the dawn coming across the world. It travels over a 1,000 miles an hour. That's kind of why it's going to be for us. We're going to look back, and joy is going to overtake us like the dawn coming at that speed. It's going to be amazing. All our yearnings will be ended in a moment. Whoosh, gone. Wonderful. But if you're like me, sometimes that time seems a long way away, right? far, far away. Time is passing slowly waiting for Christ's second coming. What about the darkness that challenges us right now, today? What can we do about that? Well, the Bible indicates that our future hope in Jesus' return is not the only hope that we have. We can experience Christ as our dayspring every day. So there's a second kind of hope, a daily hope that we can experience. And I believe God gave us this t- the time of mourning when the sun comes up as a very sacred time. That's what I see in Scripture, and that's what I've experienced in my own life. I don't know if you guys have ever been camping or backpacking, and you get up kind of early, and you see the sunrise over the mountains. I mean, all of us have seen a sunrise, I think. It's pretty easy at this time of year, right? You can get up and have breakfast before the sun comes up. But what a wonderful thing it is to see the sun, and what a joy, especially if it's been a tough night. I don't know if you guys have ever had tough nights. I'm, sh- I'm sure you have. Maybe a night when you just couldn't sleep. Maybe you were just thinking about things, or perhaps you were up with a sick child all night, and you just really couldn't wait for the dawn. It's amazing how muddled our thinking can be in the night. 
There's an um, experience that Kathy and I had of this when we were backpacking up on Mount Hood in it, when we were newlyweds. And we were staying the night in this stone shelter. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of those on Mount Hood. It's just basically a very simple block structure with a metal roof that's held down by cables. And in the middle of the night, I remember waking up and hearing this very strange sound. It was like... And I could swear I heard footsteps outside this shelter. And we were in the middle of nowhere up on the mountain, way above the tree line. No reason anybody should be out there. So, of course, all these freaky fears come swirling in, like, who is that? Are they trying to cut down the shelter so it will fall on us? I even got up the courage eventually to go out with a flashlight and look around and call, and there was nobody out there. Got back inside. So we didn't have a very restful night there in that shelter. In the morning, finally, the sun came up, and we were able to take kind of inventory of what was going on. And lo and behold, there was our backpacks, and the one that had the food had this big hole in it, and this chipmunk had been gnawing through it in the night. But in my muddled thinking, it sounded a lot worse than that. So I'm so glad that God created day and night, right? In Genesis, the very first thing God created was light and divided it into day and night. Have you ever had a bad day, one that just seems to go on forever? Nothing seems to go right, and you think, I can't wait for this day to be over and to start afresh tomorrow. Well, what if days, instead of being 24 hours long, were actually a whole week long, 168 hours long? How would that be? Man, you could have a really tough day that just kept going on and on and on. What if we didn't have new days at all? What if there was no that, not that um, experience of starting over again afresh? It was just one long, endless day. What if there was no new morning, no renewed hope in a new day? Well, this idea of daily hope is all over Scripture, that God will provide for us each new day. I just want to look at a couple of verses, again, probably very familiar to you, about the sunrise that we experience every day, this renewed hope. And the first is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The picture is that each day we can experience anew God's compassion, his care, and his grace. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Another very familiar one. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So God apparently designed us to live day by day, one day after another. Him giving us daily grace, enough for each day. Each day, then, can bring that renewed hope. With Jesus as our day spring, we can start each day anew with the grace that we need in him. And the promise is, when tomorrow comes, there'll be new grace for tomorrow. Sometimes when we worry, we try and live in the future, and God has given us grace for today. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. The Israelites in the desert had a very tangible picture of this, of course, with the bringing of manna, this bread from heaven, where God told them every day to get up, there would be the bread, they would just gather enough for, for that day, and it would be enough. Apart from 
um, of course, the, the Sabbath time when they gathered two days. But God was picturing to them that he was going to be enough for them every day. This bread of heaven, daily grace, day after day. And this is echoed, in, I think, in the Lord's Prayer as well, as Jesus was modeling this prayer to us and saying, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need, Lord, day by day. The word for bread in Scripture, the Hebrew word, is lechem. This is another great word to study. It's throughout Scripture. Lechem, daily bread. There's another Hebrew word that um, is for the word house, beth or bet. We hear this in the word Bethel, the house of God. So where do you think, when God was choosing where the light of the world, the bread of life, was going to be born, where would he be born? Well, of course, he was going to be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethlehem. That's where the light of the world came, the bread of life. So just like the sun rising every morning, each day has hope because Jesus, the light of the world, the bread of life, is with us. I recently read an article by a lady whose name was Vanita Rendell Risner, a Christian who suffers from post-polio syndrome. I don't know what that is, but as she described it, it sounded extremely painful, and she can wake up on any given day in extreme pain. And one day, as she was writing in this blog, she said she cried out to God and said, I can't live like this for the rest of my life. I just can't do it. After pouring out her heart as she recorded this, she quietened down and she tried to listen to the Lord. And this is what she heard him say. I'm not asking you to live like this for the rest of your life. I'm just asking you to live like this today. And she learned from that that God was going to give her daily grace, day by day. She didn't have to worry about the future. And that's how we are supposed to live as well, one day at a time. So it is so important for us to start the day with Jesus, our day spring. Before we get out of bed, before we start looking at the phone and the news, you know, worries can just start flooding in. Our concerns can overwhelm us as we are yearning for change, for help, for blessing, for healing. And we try and put our hope in our circumstances. That's the tendency. I especially, I know all about that. I do that a lot, right? But that's a very wobbly footing for our lives. We need to place our hope in Jesus. So where are we placing our hope? Where am I placing my hope? Is it in finances? Is it in health? Is it in politics? Is it in certain events happening or not happening? It's human nature that whatever we focus on and think about a lot gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's interesting. It's like looking through a telescope and things get zoomed up. When all we do is worry and look at the news and think about what's we're lacking, those things get bigger and bigger and bigger until that completely fills the lens, and that's all we can see. Is there a better way? Yes, there is. And that is to go to God's Word and look at His promises and spend time with Jesus, our day spring, because He has promised us daily grace, strength, peace, wisdom, help, forgiveness, His presence. Remember, He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And if we focus on those promises, our entire perspective changes because they fill our lens, and that's what we see, and we can interpret our lives through his promises. His Spirit will help us do that day by day. So no matter what happens in this town of Prineville, or in this state of Oregon, or these United States, or in the world, solar system, galaxy, 
universe, whatever, no matter what happens, our hope is absolutely secure. So I'll think about that for a moment. How are we feeling about the future, about tomorrow? How about even just this Christmas season? Between Malachi and Luke, there was this time of yearning, right? And some people spent that time worrying and wishing, and others spent their time in hope, as we saw. Christmas is all about hope, yes, but we need a hope that sustains us after Christmas. And praise God, we have it. Two kinds of hope, a future hope and a daily hope, both from Jesus, our day spring. 1 Peter 1, chapter 3, says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that never, can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our hope is alive, and we can walk every day in that light. So here's my application from this. I want to start each day with Jesus, be in his word before I look in my phone, and then walk in that rhythm with him day by day for the rest of my life. I want to be careful how much time I spend on the news, spending more time in God's Word than I do reading news articles. I don't need to not be informed, but I just need my perspective to be correct. The dawn is coming, chasing away the darkness, both tomorrow and when Jesus returns. Now, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have that hope, if you haven't experienced that relationship with him, I urge you, don't delay. Talk to someone who brought you or one of the elders or staff here. We'd love to talk to you about him. Now is the time of salvation. Don't wait. There's a glow in the east. Do you feel him tugging? Time is short. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we can stand up and lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. In our ministry with Wycliffe, um, we get lots of newsletters from uh, the, the members that we care for. And there's one couple that um, at the end of their newsletter, every time they have the same phrase, it just says, Father, send your son. That word in Aramaic is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are our living hope, that we don't have to walk in darkness, that we have daily hope with you, day after day, we can trust that you'll provide for our needs. And in the bigger picture, we can trust you for the whole future of our lives because you are coming back and you're going to make everything new. And Lord, help me and help my brothers and sisters here to have that perspective, especially when things around us seem to shake. Lord, help us to put our hope in you, our sea anchor in you, so when the storm rages and the wind blows and the waves seem so high around us that we can know that we are held secure in you. So, Lord, may this Advent season bring you glory, but may it also transform us. So when it is over and we go back to the January 1st and we're starting a new year, Lord, that we can go with expectation and hope that you'll be with us each day and forever. Amen.